Hi, everybody. Welcome to Radio 815. I'm Matt Crandall here with my co-host Marcelo Inostroza, the podcast dedicated to the works and mythology of writer-director J.J. Abrams. We are currently knee-deep in his TV producing, creating, writing career, taking a look at Lost Season 1. Today we are talking about episodes 21 and 22 as we start to get into the home stretch of the first season of Lost, the season that created a phenomenon that would basically change TV forever. First episode we're talking about is 21 The Greater Good. It is a Saeed-centric episode. Marcelo, what did you think of The Greater Good? I really enjoyed The Greater Good um, because... The Greater Good does something that really ticks me the hell off, which is kind of funny because I did say that I enjoyed it, but I I enjoyed it in the aspect that it brought attention to this issue. I really don't like when certain people do certain stuff for religious reasons. And basically in this episode, Saeed is... Uh, while he's in the process of trying to find the woman that he let go um, in an earlier episode uh, this year by the name of Nadia, who was who was uh, who was being deta- who was being detained by the Republican Guard because of hints of being a terrorist. Anyway, mm-hmm. while, while he's looking for her, he gets detained by the CIA, and the CIA convinces him to basically become a mole in a. A uh, a terrorist camp that one of his friends is in, in between a rock and a hard place of being a a good friend to this guy that is potentially a terrorist, and that also allows him to confront some of his ideals about what kind of what kind of a person that he wants to be. You know, so I really did appreciate that aspect. I thought that that was the most interesting part of the backstory with Saeed that we've gotten so far is that in this episode, partly because they want us to know Saeed's intentions, they have him reluctantly team up with the CIA uh, as a means to an end to try and find out more about Nadia. And when they tell him like, yeah, you know, your buddy from school is part of this sleeper cell or whatever it is. And we need you to get the info. I think part of it is that at the time of this episode airing, there were a lot of these really popular shows that delved into, you know, having to go undercover to take down terrorism or, you know, like a 24 that was Jack Bauer hunting down terrorists. So I think that they I don't know if they felt any outside pressure to include this, like Saeed works for the CIA to take down his buddy who's now possibly a terrorist angle, but it very much was of the time when this episode aired because it was in still such close proximity to, um, nine 11 and, you know, terrorism really being on everyone's brain all the time. So I thought this was a nice way for them to show that, you know, Saeed doesn't fit into these stereotypes of just because he's from somewhere, doesn't mean he has these same ideals. And in this, he's willing to do whatever it takes to find out more information about the woman that he loves. Even if she might have bad motives, 
and be wrapped up in something horrible, um, or certainly in her past, his love for Nadia makes it so that he agrees to work with the CIA who, you know, can't be trusted in a lot of these shows. And certainly in this one, he has his doubts, but I did like seeing the skill in which Saeed settles into this undercover role and how he's feeling out the situation with his friend Assam and trying to prove himself to get into their group quickly so that they will trust him so that he can get this information to ultimately reach Nadia. And as things start to get away from him in the last act of those flashbacks, it's kind of heartbreaking, partly because we know that even if Assam is part of this group that is going to do something bad, you know, him and Saeed do have a genuine friendship and Saeed cares for him and he doesn't want any ill things to befall him. So I liked that scene where Assam pulls the gun on Saeed and says like, you know, what's really going on here? And Saeed comes clean and tells him um, it ends horribly. But in that moment, you know, a lot of emotional stuff comes up and it's just really hard to watch when you see these two guys who used to be great friends still care about each other, but have different ideals that get in the way of that friendship and then just the gruesome nature of what ends up happening. So even as Saeed does the right thing, it ends up costing a lot more than he thought it would. That's uh, usually the case when you get into a situation where you really don't want to be there and you're a little bit over your head. I really, uh, all throughout the course of these flashbacks, I really wanted to punch uh, the guy that they were taking orders from because mm. I really... It really struck me um, to the to you know because I mean he doesn't have a lot of scenes in the flashbacks, but the one scene that he does have when he actually gives them their mission as to what they're supposed to do, he says that the two of you are going to be remembered remembered as heroes, and I'm like that's ridiculous. You know if you're gonna if you're gonna do something bad, don't justify it like this. Justify it because this is what you want to do. So for me, the terrorism angle really, really annoyed me. I really appreciated it and I understood what the writers were trying to do, but I wasn't really comfortable with it. I don't know if that's the way that I was supposed to feel. I should have taken it a similar way to the way that you did, but I, I thought it was very effective nonetheless. Yeah, and I think you are supposed to be uncomfortable with it. And like I said, especially the time that this episode came out, everybody was so uncomfortable and on edge about it. I did like the very end of the flashbacks when Saeed is talking to the agents and they said they're going to honor his deal. And, you know, Nadia lives in California now. Um, and they mentioned that Assam's body is going to be cremated. And Saeed says, that's no, that's not what Muslims do. I have to, take the body and make the arrangements and they say well you can't because you got a flight and he says change my flight to the next day because i got to do this for my friend um and they agree to that so that's how he ended up being on you know flight 815 is that after all of this horrible stuff had gone down he still needed to honor the the way that his people are you know that's their custom 
He's even though Assam took his own life in a horrible fashion and had bad intentions, Saeed's not going to let him be desecrated. You know, as we find out in all these flashbacks, why everybody was in Australia and how they got onto that flight. I find all of that stuff fairly interesting. And this one was was nice to see that, you know, it's a bit of an eye roll where Saeed changes his ticket at the last minute. But the intentions behind it were really good. That particular scene where he changed his ticket, I was like, no, no, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Please don't change your ticket. <laughs> But 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 we all know that he just had to. I thought this episode was very effective and wonderful. Just having the flashback alone, if you actually took out the other storyline that is happening in this episode that we'll address in a, that we'll address in a minute, I thought this episode could have worked with just the flashback storyline. Do you think that there was more to explore with this storyline of of Saeed being uh, forced to help the CIA and and uh, forced to basically uh, use his friend to to find out where Nadia was? I do partly partly because, like I mentioned, you know, all these other shows, everything that happens in the flashbacks would have been like an entire season of another show at this time with Saeed infiltrating these people and getting the info and and trying to stop what they were about to do. That would be like an entire 12-episode arc of Homeland or something. So I think they really do rush through that, and there's more if they want to dig into it in future flashbacks, they certainly could. But, you know, I guess just the format of Lost, where we jump back and see certain parts from their life that take on new meaning or give us more context in the present is the reason that they didn't, but it did feel, especially for a flashback, like we covered a lot of ground in a very short amount of time. I thought that the, um, that the B story of this episode was very well done. The, the main reason why I liked it so much is because we haven't really had, we haven't really spent a lot of time with the character of Shannon. As a matter of fact, if you guys, I have been listening to the podcast since we started covering Lost. You know that I personally don't think that the, char- the character of Shannon, played by uh, Maggie Grace, is particularly that interesting. And in this episode, we we um, we you know you know we were presented to Shannon's grief over the death of Boone, and I loved how every time that they showed Shannon um, in this episode, she didn't talk very much, mm-hmm. and the one thing that she did. Um, I, I thought, I, you know, I thought it was a very baller move. Uh, granted, she was actually grieving while she did it, but I thought that was very forward thinking of her and I don't begrudge her one bit for trying to, uh, murder a specific someone. Because of what happened with Boone and a lot of the Islanders are still unclear as to John Locke's involvement in what happened to Boone. They only know that Jack basically has a meltdown and says Locke is lying about everything that's happened. And Jack is so tired and manic that it's jarring for everybody to see Jack in that way, agitated. And the fact that he thinks that there's something that they need to get out of Locke um, rubs off on everyone else. So I did like that Shannon in her grief 
you know, mistakenly thinks that getting revenge is going to put her mind at ease, which if you've ever watched any movie or TV show ever, you know, is not the case as far as media is concerned. Nobody ever gets revenge and just goes, ah, that was great. Like it's always a slippery slope. And for Saeed to try and figure out the details of what actually happened by using his special set of skills in his interrogation of Locke, he realizes that there is other stuff at work. And even when Locke confesses to him that Locke is the one who knocked him out, at first, Saeed jumps to anger and then Locke, you know, kind of calm and cool under the circumstances, explains why. And he said, you know, that message said it killed them, it killed them all. And it didn't make sense for us to to trace after this because no good can come from it. And, you know, I know I'm just some guy you don't know, but trust me, that was the right thing to do. You guys were taking us down a bad path. I had to use physical physical violence to stop that. I think it was the right thing to do. And Locke, you know, tries to explain that there was more around Boone's death. And Saeed's not quite sure, but he certainly knows that in that big showdown moment when Shannon pulls the gun, that killing Locke is not going to solve anything. And with the answers that Saeed has gotten, he's not sure, not necessarily that Locke doesn't deserve it, but he realizes that they may need John Locke to survive on this island. He is the guy who seems to know more of what's going on than everyone. And when Saeed puts that together, you know, he he can't stand by and let Shannon take her revenge, ruin her own life from the guilt she's going to experience because of this and screw everyone over by killing the one guy who might know what's actually happening on the island. So I thought that big finale really brought home a lot of those ideas in a nice way and a satisfying way for what they did. And then the episode, you know, ends with Saeed saying, okay, dude, (laughs) to Locke, I don't want to hear any more lies. Take me to the hatch now. And when Locke's like, uh, 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 and he's like, no, no, like we're going, let's go. Um, awesome ending. It was like, okay, Saeed knows what's up and he's been through so much and he's seen so much here. He's just willing to, to figure out what the hell is happening on this Island and let's go get it. You mentioned, uh, Matt in our previous edition of the podcast last week that a, a drastic change in John Locke's behavior was going to start happening. And to be frank, I, when, when John showed up to Boone's funeral on the beach and he started to, and he started to sort of try to explain to the, to the island patriots what the hell happened to, to Boone and him while they were out in the jungle, I was like, dude, nobody's buying this (laughs) and Jack is going to kill you. Yeah. And to make matters worse. Locke shows up with the bloodiest shirt I've ever seen in my life. I'm like, dude, 
didn't you like take a moment to like clean the blood off your shirt? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> might have well, might have helped. Might have been a good idea. To go to another one of your points, I'm not sure that I would have reacted the way that Saeed did when he found out that John was the one that hit him and smashed the receiver. Because although, you know, help me out here, Matt, if, I, if, if, if I'm remembering incorrectly, but when they came back from the mountain, did they tell everyone what the voice on the transceiver said, or they only told a specific amount of people? I believe they only told a specific amount of people. So there are lots of people on the island who know nothing of that. Based on that rationale, I think that a lot of people on that island would have opened up to the idea of being rescued if they weren't told that the woman uh, transmitted the message on the receiver was telling them, you know, they're all dead. Or They would have still thought it was a good idea to, to you know, use the radio and, and track all this message stuff and get the word out. Anyway, I think that, you know, when Locke is trying to explain it and Saeed is hearing his explanation, he might not even buy the explanation that Locke is giving. But because of the way that they intercut it with the Saeed flashbacks, this moment in specific is basically Locke admitting to sabotaging their plans. Which is exactly what Saeed did to Assam, sabotaged his plans, because Saeed was operating under the assumption that that was the best thing for his friend in the long run. And so I think in that moment, which is rare, cooler heads kind of prevail because Saeed realizes, even if he doesn't understand or totally agree with it, he realizes Locke was acting because he thought that was putting their best interests first. And he knew that it was such a difficult thing that a lot of people wouldn't be receptive to hear that that was the best thing at that moment. So he acted rather than try and explain. And if he had told that story to Jack, it wouldn't have played. But because that conversation was with Saeed and Saeed himself had been in that exact situation before the plane. I, I think that's, that's where like the balance of the present and the past really comes together in a way that makes that scene wouldn't work if it was anyone else and we didn't have that backstory information at that moment. In an episode that is basically almost 40 minutes of doom and gloom, I did like the Aaron... Well, we don't know his name is Aaron. The baby won't stop crying... Uh, C storyline where, you know, Charlie and Hurley are trying to sing some James Brown to the kid to get him to shut up and it's not working. And then finally the, the way they get the baby to relax, cool it and stop crying is that Sawyer has to read him car commercials out of a magazine. And I thought that was in an episode that's really heavy and really depressing um, that was a nice moment of levity that really went a long way. I really enjoyed that moment too, but I thought that Charlie was going to start strumming uh, 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 str uh, strumming 
uh, drive shaft songs to Aaron to make him sleep. But I, I, I totally forgot that it was the soothing voice of Josh Holloway that made Aaron relax. So yeah, I, so, I found, so good. Yeah, I found that to be uh, very, very comedic. Also, a small little thing that I liked in this episode is that when Charlie and Son realize that that um that Claire is exhausted, they sort of take charge and try to tell Claire to actually get some rest and just relax. And even... And, you know, uh, because of what Claire has been through on the island, she is somewhat hesitant to, 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 to give her baby to other people to take care of. And I thought that was very uh, motherly of Claire to do. I, I really enjoyed that aspect of this episode. For a large part of this episode, Jack is not front and center because he's exhausted. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that he doesn't play a, a large part in this episode. For the most part, it's our other main cast that get an opportunity to shine in this episode, uh, mostly Saeed and Shannon. So I, so I really, really like that aspect of this episode. Yeah, that was great. And especially, like you mentioned, Claire is so tired that you know she goes off and gets the rest that she needs. Jack is so tired but refuses to get the rest he needs. So Kate takes matters into her own hands and puts sleeping pills into his drink because if he doesn't, he is going to run himself to death. And that again speaks to Jack, like feeling the need to, to fix things and not let things go. It was a nice callback to, you know, the Jack episode we just had, which brings us to episode 22 born to run title taken after a famous Bruce Springsteen song, probably by accident, maybe on purpose, uh, which is a Kate-centric episode. Uh, Marcelo, what did you think of Born to Run? I loved this episode because, as most of you know, Kate is one of my favorite uh, uh, females in the entire JJ-verse, and I love the way that she is written, and I love what she does, and I love uh, her... The, her uh the the characterization that the writers chose to give her but in this episode we 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 sort of learn more about that specific little uh toy airplane that Kate was obsessed getting uh uh getting back from Sawyer in an earlier episode and i really thought that uh, uh the flashbacks in this episode born to run were really, really traumatic and really, really depressing. Specifically when Kate goes to visit uh, someone in the hospital and that someone recognizes Kate and that someone is going through uh, cancer treatment and that someone starts freaking out. And because of it, Kate has to make her escape, which leads to another awful scene. But I really enjoyed this episode for all its awfulness and for its character building uh, having to do with Kate. Yeah, I thought it was really good. And certainly the flashbacks give us more depth into Kate and finally reveal what happened to the man that she loved, the man that she killed, that she mentioned in the previous episodes. And it doesn't go down in a way that necessarily you could predict. Um, But also... My only like small problem with it 
is it goes down in such a like f- nothing is happening to all of a sudden things escalate very quickly and a way that lost doesn't usually kind of rush events together um but where you know all of a sudden for no reason tom jumps in the car with her when like he didn't have to <laughs> and then lethal force is used by that cop in a moment where he didn't have to which of course now in 2021 you'd be like well of course cops gonna use lethal force when they didn't have to um but all of those events leading to that accident felt a little forced to me compared to how lost usually plays things a little bit more subtle um but i did like that we see you know how much Kate cares for Tom, their relationship a little bit. The fact that Kate is willing to risk it all to see Diane in those final moments. And of course that realization where she starts screaming and we're like, Ooh, what happened here? Cause we still, we did, wouldn't know why that would be the reaction. And then obviously the accident is not entirely Kate's fault. She does put, Tom in the line of fire because she's got to get out of there no matter what and doesn't think twice about how to do that in a safer way. But it also is the sheriff's acting erratic. Um, And so when Tom gets shot and she has to leave him to basically he's pretty much dead, but leave him in the car and the, we see the toy airplane is still in the car when she runs away. Um, was interesting and does add a lot more depth. You can see how she feels responsible, but we can also see that she wasn't responsible. It was his actions and the actions of the the cops, the sheriff that really sealed that fate rather than something evil that Kate did. So now we understand that she's carrying the guilt thinking that she murdered Tom. Um, because it was her choices that led to his death, but it was not a premeditated murder or or on purpose. It was accidental from this the circumstances of this escape that she had to make because she was basically trapped at that point. I didn't feel that this that this awful scene just basically started happening. I you know in in real life, you know, you can be having the most randomest day ever and then something awful will happen that sort of propels the day to become something else mm-hmm. and uh you know you know just in my opinion so when i saw uh this all play out i really didn't get the feeling that the writers were sort of like r- were sort of like running through this flashback and and sort of propelling this situation i certainly understand the flip side of that coin um just for me, somehow the fact that Tom refuses to get out of the car doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, why would he, why would he not get out? Even if he loves her, like it just, no, I'm staying. Well, you're staying for this senseless, daring escape that's going to lead to nothing good. And then you're going to be on the run. Like it just, it, for a guy who has a lot to lose as a guy who works at a hospital, has a good life. It just felt to me a little bit iffy 
I just think that 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 Tom wasn't in his right mind at that point, and he was he 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 sort of moved without thinking. Unfortunately, that move cost him his life. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that I really enjoyed in this episode is that I believe that I commented it. I believe that I commented on it in an earlier episode that we did. I'm not really sure about how many people knew uh, uh, the reason why Kate was on the plane. I, I knew Jack knew. I knew Hurley knew, but I wasn't really sure who else knew. Right. And in this episode, Kate is, Kate is put on trial for some reason. Kate wants to get on the raft. She starts worming her way uh, to Michael into replacing Sawyer on the raft. So in order for Sawyer to protect himself and to keep his spot on the raft, he sort of spills the beans on Kate's, uh, on, on, um, on Kate's origins on the flight. And with mm-hmm. that, when, when, when that happens, uh, you could see all the fellow casties, uh, castaways, sorry, sort of turn on her. And I really, really felt awful for her in that specific situation. Yeah, it's one of those things where I think earlier on this podcast, one of the episodes I mentioned, it was frustrating to me that Kate wouldn't just come clean and tell everybody that she was the one and then explain it away or come up with a lie. And this kind of reaffirmed my idea because people are not actually that mad that she was the one that was under arrest with the marshal. They're actually more pissed off about how it came out because it only comes out after they think that she has done something horrible on the island. Whereas if she had told them 15 days earlier, they might not immediately think, oh, Kate, criminal, Kate did something to Jin. Um, so I I think it was to her detriment that she didn't come clean sooner because now it is confirming all those things that she feared where people are unsure of her, they're distrusting her motives. They It casts a shadow on what they thought of her. But if she had told the truth sooner, I don't know that that would have been played out the same way. A lot of people on this island have, for some reason, they have a giant problem with trusting the people that they're living with on this island. If half of them just learned to trust a little bit, this show wouldn't be as dramatic as it is, right? But in the show's defense, I think the fact that everyone is sort of cagey and everyone is sort of keeping secrets helps the show uh, grow this legend. The other thing that I thought was fascinating is that somebody poisons somebody else in this episode is revealed as to who does it. Um, the, the, the last scene in this episode, when that specific person conv- uh, confesses to, I think it's Jack who figures it out. That, I don't know why I'm trying to skate. Or it was, it was, it was Kate. Yeah, but yeah, but Kate came up with the idea. And no, Kate, Kate and Son have that talk where... Okay, okay, it was Kate, it was Kate. Oh, no, no, you're right, it was Jack, it was Jack. Am she I admits right to Jack that She admits to Jack that she um, didn't want to hurt him, but she just wanted him to be sick for a bit so that he couldn't go on the raft. Right, right. But didn't Kate come up with the idea yeah. for Jen to do? Yeah. Okay, That's, okay. Th- that was my confusion. I did 
like that final wrinkle of Michael being poisoned, it also allowed uh, Walt to come clean to his father and tell him that he's the one that burned the first raft down to the ground. The one thing that I found very odd is that after uh, Michael finds out that Walt was the one that burned down the first raft, he says to Walt, you know what? We don't have to leave. We can we can stay here. And I'm like, dude, you just spent God knows how many days building that thing. And you're going to and you're going to just you're just going to bail on it just because of one conversation with your son. I'm like, that doesn't that doesn't track. I mean, I, I mean, Michael took it as cool as a, a father struggling to get to know his son could. But I'm like, dude, if that was my son, I would whack him upside the head. I just found that specific scene to be a little, that specific note to be a little bit um, strange and off-putting. What did, uh, wh- what did you think about that, Matt? I actually thought that that was, I, I liked it quite a bit, to be honest with you, which is nice that we both have different opinions of this. Because when Walt admits that he burnt the raft, the reason that he didn't fess up or tell his dad what he actually thought was because he was worried he was going to get the reaction that you just talked about, where he's like, too bad, kid. I know better. Smack him. Get out of the way. We're doing this. I'm the I'm the dad. Um, so when he tells Michael the truth, Michael realizes that there have been very few moments in his relationship with Walt where they actually have a, a loving and comfortable father-son relationship. Because it's been father-stranger for most of the time, rather than this actual dynamic. And he knows that Walt has been through a lot of crazy stuff. And for a kid his age to have to deal with the loss of his mother, his stepfather not wanting him, uh, go live with a father he doesn't know, he realizes that these traumas are starting to add up. And now that Walt feels like the island is home, it would be like telling a kid who finally is getting settled in to a life, hey, guess what? We're moving. Why are we moving? Because I said so. And he realizes it's not worth it to break this connection that they're building by automatically saying, we have to leave. We're going to move because I said so. He realizes that that's going to do more damage, even if they never get rescued, at least they will be together and actually form this stronger father-son bond that they've never had. And it's uncharacteristic so far for Michael to actually listen to that rationale and see the emotional depth of, of Walt's confession, but I think it shows a step forward for Michael in the fact that he doesn't get mad and he does say, okay, dude, I, I was wrong. So I, I liked that a lot and it made me like Michael a lot more than I had up until this point. I certainly see your point and I'm sure there are other people who feel exactly the same way as you. Um, but as a guy watching this who doesn't necessarily think Michael's been that Interesting. I thought it actually gave him something interesting for once. The fact that he was willing to listen to reason and finally put Walt first. 
as far as the character of Michael goes, um, not just in this episode, but throughout the whole first season of Lost, I really think that he has been a character who has struggled to get to know his son and get to yep. connect with his son. So with that rationale, that's why I said he might react like that. But the fact mm-hmm. that he didn't, but the fact that he didn't do that, like you said, that shows that he is growing as a father and he's becoming better as a as a as a as a father figure to Walt. Unfortunately, uh what happens later doesn't uh doesn't vote well for both of them, but just based on that conversation, uh you sort of just pulled me you just sort of made me rethink my entire point. And you know, by the end of that conversation, Walt does say, No, no, we do need to go, but also because Walt now um, we still aren't sure of Walt's powers. There is that moment in this episode where he's talking to Locke and Locke grabs Walt's arm and Walt basically gets some sort of supernatural vision. Uh, something happens and he says, do not open that thing. Do not open that thing. So then that, that scene at the end where Walt says, no, dad like it's fine i didn't want to go but now i realize we have to go makes that lock moment with walt that much more powerful like oh crap what is in the hatch really escalating that mystery like times 10 because of that one scene in this episode speaking of the the hatch thing when uh when jack finally um finally comes upon the hatch for the first time, the one thing that I thought was like, how long were Locke and Boone supposed to be out there digging that hole? Did, <laughs> did they like, did they like do that in a month or like six weeks? Because I'm like, there's no way that two guys could have dug that type of hole in like six weeks. It was certainly an impressively deep dug, uh, pit. That's for sure. They got a lot of it exposed. The thing that I love about that is that Saeed uh, uh, thinks that um, Jack is going to back him up and convince Locke not to open the hatch. But the thing is, I find it very interesting that Jack wants to open the thing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, his entire mission statement throughout the, you know, since he's become the de facto leader of everybody on the island is to keep everybody safe. And wouldn't wouldn't it behoove him to not open up a strange hatch on a island that has polar bears and god knows what else <laughs> it so, definitely it definitely would i think you know jack just mentions what if there are supplies or something in there and if there's nothing then no harm no foul and certainly he doesn't think that it can be anything that would hurt them i love when he's like hey there's no handle and they're like no shit sherlock why do you think it's been taking us so long to to get this thing open of course there's no handle i just found it very odd that someone in a leadership position would find something in the on the island and be anxious to open it you know uh vis-a-vis his explanation like you just said for me, I just need a little bit more of of uh, of sort of validation for for him to want to agree to open up the the hatch. But the fact that they do eventually open the thing and what's down there, which we'll get to 
later uh, in another podcast or in a couple of weeks um, is kind of spectacular. Yeah, and I do think you are right. It was out of character for Jack to say, let's open it. And certainly even Saeed is kind of taken by surprise because he thought Jack was going to say the opposite thing. Mm. I did one other thing I want to mention about this episode as we're getting close to wrapping here. It was the first introduction of Dr. Arzt and uh, <laughs> that character, like the second he showed up on the screen, I was like, oh, yeah, countdown. You know, I already started the countdown in my mind to tick, 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 boom. One of the great lost moments coming up very soon. And he he actually adds a ticking clock to this whole raft situation when he tells them that monsoon season is coming, which is what causes everybody to act erratic and try and vie for these spots because they realize the window when they can actually launch that raft is rapidly closing. And it was that character who we have basically haven't seen before. But in a couple episodes, instantly becomes part of lost history. So having Dr. Arts give us that very important information to start the ticking clock uh, was handled really well. So that is the end of these two episodes of Lost. Next week on Radio 815, we'll be taking a look at Exodus Part 1 and Part 2, the three-hour finale of lost season one so if you're watching along with us watch those before next week we uh, love comments and questions so if you have any of those hit us up on twitter you can use the hashtag radio 815 we will read those on the show get in touch with you if you want to get in touch with me i am on twitter at matt crandall marcello where can the people reach you if uh, you guys have any questions for me or you want to get in touch with me, also the best place to reach me is on Twitter. I'm at CreekFanatic88. And Marcelo, where can people see you live streaming every Friday night talking some sci-fi going forward? Where can the people look for that? Yeah, if uh, if you guys love my, uh, my madcap voice and you actually want to see what I look like, I have recently become a member of... The live stream, sh the live stream show called uh, Starfleet Boy After Dark. Uh, it's a YouTube channel where every Friday we we uh, do a live stream show for about two two and a half hours, and we talk about Star Trek, all science fiction things. And uh, so come on and uh, join us there. Definitely check that out. And if you need to see my ugly mug, you can check me and my buddy Mercy out on Armchair Directors on YouTube and ArmchairDirectors.com. But other than that. That brings us to a close. We're in the home stretch of Lost Season 1. Thanks very much for listening, guys. And until next time, Radio 815, over and out.